With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Broadcasting live from Florida's capital city, this is the Jeff Cameron Show. Brought to you by Orange Theory Fitness on Real Talk 93.3. Now, stop what you're doing and listen closely. It's time for the Jeff Cameron Show in five... Four, three, two, one. Two libations Friday loose, goosey edition of the program. We hope. Love that you're here. Thanks for being here. Hang out a while. Spend some time with us over the next hour. I'm Jeff. That's Tom. Director Matthew is floating somewhere around the vicinity of these here parts, doing what he does as well. On Twitter, it's at Jay Cameron Show. Get this, Tom. And it won't surprise you at all, but buddy, when I saw it, I went, oh, this is good. This is really, really good. This is the kind of stuff that makes me smile. And it's not surprising. It's um, it's the psycho that we know him to be. I don't know how this ends. I remember years ago, Tom, I was always a little uneasy around the subject of Michael Jackson. Oh. No, I mean, when Michael was alive. Yeah, I was always like, uh, uh, it's not weird to you guys. This is before the allegations, Tom. This is there. Mike always presented sort of a there may be a problem here, guys. <laughs> I think Mike Mike's got some stuff. Yeah, I'm a little worried about Mike. Hi, Jeff. How are you today? <laughs> Nobody yeah. wanted to hear it. Yeah, because you know, because he was a national treasure in the eyes of many. Um and people didn't want, like, if you brought up, you're like, don't you think it's a little weird, the whole Neverland Ranch? Seems a little strange to me. Don't you think he's childlike? I, I You could do it in a much more basic way. Just say you're a bartender or a server at, you know, whatever. Or it could be a nice restaurant. Person sitting there, they look, you know, sizable enough. Like, Michael wasn't a tiny, tiny dude. So you walk up to the table, and you're like, hi, sir, how are you today? Hello, how are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I, yeah. You know, immediately you're like, all right, all right. I got to gear up when I walk to this table. So a, I don't laugh because that was awkward. Yes. And B I'm dealing with somebody who, uh, all right, needs a little extra attention here. Yeah. Yeah. Meekish odd, whatever it might be. Yeah. No. So I always, 
and all the interviews and all the stuff really almost post, like not long after Billy Jean, you start going, mm, I don't know. I don't know about Mike. I'm starting to worry about Mike. And I've said this before and it gets people all angry. Look, man, pretty much once you get past PYT and Billy Jean, it starts going south for Mike. He starts doing all the stupid affectations and all that. Everything starts sucking after that uh, musically. Um, but, but never mind all of my opinions about what he is or is not musically. Uh, I, I get it. That's polarizing in and of itself. But people, people like held him on high in a way where you're like, okay, I just, I want to introduce the idea that Mike might be a pedophile, guys. I just want to throw that out there. And that would make people angry. And then later on, it was kind of like, yeah, yeah, you know, you're a 40-something-year-old man having sleepovers with kids. This is never going to fly. This is not okay. I don't care that you have a pet orangutan or monkey. I don't care that you want an elephant on your ranch in roller coasters. This is nutso. You're wackadoo. Then the 60 Minutes interview happened, and he didn't deny it, and everybody went, oh, no. And Chris Rock did a great bit on that, which is you cannot admit to that. You've got to deny that. You can't have Ed Bradley sit across from you and ask you a very pointed question about your relationship with kids and then say, well, I like them. I like them to sleep over. That's not the right answer. That's not <laughs> That you can't do that, Mike, and win over the public. All right. I say all of that to say this. Yeah, what? Come on, Russell Wilson. We got problems. We got problems with my man, Russell Wilson. It's going to happen, Tom. It has nothing to do with what I just alleged or talked about with Michael Jackson. Oh. No. But it's the whole personality. Oh, you're not a real human being. You've got crazy eyes. You're perhaps a psycho. Well, here we go. It was learned uh, by the athletic, and I'm not surprised by this at all. But wait till we go through it. The no good year, as they told Russell Wilson's year last year. And by the way, if you want, for you know, kicks and giggles, go take a look at the year Russell Wilson had last season. <laughs> You, you can argue he's the worst quarterback in football. Like, not just that this is a bad year. Like, Russell couldn't play a lick of football last year, not even a little bit. Um, in doing so, one of the things that stands out, and there's a lot of it in this article, this is, of course, a nine-time Pro Bowler. Uh, they went 5-12, and 12, but the, his first year outside of Seattle, 5-12, and 12, obviously, in, in Denver, and horrendous play throughout. And, of course, there you sat with a $245 million contract uh, that you gave this guy, and he's fallen off a cliff. Uh, but according to a report by Kalen Kaler, Jason Jinx, and Mike Sando of The Athletic, they interviewed, talked to more than 15 players, coaches, and staffers for this story. And some of these details, Tom, you're going to nod your head and have some fun with. Before the trade happened, Russell Wilson asked the Seahawks ownership to fire Pete Carroll and the GM, John Schneider. That's not terribly unusual for superstar players to ask for a change of a coach or a GM. It's not all that surprising. He was convinced at the time that the coach and the GM were the reasons that he wasn't playing as well as he once did. And he decided at that time to pitch to management that he wanted Sean Payton. Um, now, first of all, he's now got Sean Payton, so this will be interesting to see. But he pitched to ownership that I would like Sean Payton in. 
I want these gentlemen out. They're the reason for our problems. Never mind the fact that Pete Carroll was the head coach when they won to the Super Bowl, went to another Super Bowl, and he put up Pro Bowl numbers. Sure, whatever. It's his fault. And, and trusted Russell with the ball in the most important play of the Super Bowl against the Patriots. Like, you right. know, that he, he put the ball in Russell's hands. Yes, even though he shouldn't have. Even though he shouldn't yeah. have. Yeah. But so this is this is interesting. And it's uh, not it's not necessarily an endearing thing to read that, to hear that, but it's not stunning. So I'm not going to tell you that that's a huge outlier. What I like is that Seattle's ownership in the moment went, okay, well, we're going to trade you tomorrow. And they did. (laughs) So that meeting did not go the way that he thought it was going to go, which is to say, thanks for sitting down with me and making time. I wanted to be, I wanted to have this conversation with you uh, for some time now, but I appreciate you making the time. So let me just get it out here and throw it on the table, guys. I think we need to change at the head coach. I don't think our GM's doing a real good job here. Obviously, I'm a nine-time Pro Bowler. My play isn't suddenly going to drop off to this extent without uh, the failings of those around me. So I suggest we go out and get Sean Payton. We all know what he's done as an offensive coordinator. We all know what he did as a head coach, and especially for smallish quarterbacks, of which I'm one. So I feel like this is a perfect fit for us. Thanks, Russell. We'll take it into consideration. Uh, Don't be surprised to get a phone call tomorrow. That's how that goes. He gets that said phone call. Boom, peace. You're out. Good on you, management. Good on you. They recognize what's what. Fired his ass in the moment, and that's that. Now, that's the first one. Wilson then, upon going to Denver, installed his own support staff along with the Broncos personnel. So he had his own office. He demanded that he have his own office. Now, that's different. They don't see players with their own office. It's a blurred line between coaches and players. Wilson brought in his own quarterback coach, Jake Heaps, who was obviously in charge of coaching Wilson, except for he wasn't the quarterback's coach for the Denver Broncos. He didn't listen to Nathaniel Hackett, the head coach, or the quarterback coach. He listened to his own quarterback coach in his own office. The Broncos quarterback's coach was Clint Kubiak. Can you imagine having a daily conversation with your starting quarterback in which you're the quarterback coach, Clint Kubiak, and you can't get across to Russell Wilson anything because he's in his own office with his own quarterback coach who's not part of the Broncos staff? It this is uh this is getting fun. I'm enjoying this. It sounds like the Alex Guerrero um Tom Brady thing on steroids because yeah. that was about the training room, which you could understand if if guys have different methods in the weight room and in the nutrition sphere, right. because that could be maybe more debated and more personalized. But when it comes down to on the field coaches who will be there on Sundays, like Russell's guy can't put on a headset on no. Sunday. <laughs> no, he's got his own guy. I just, it still makes me laugh. I remember Jake Heaps. Didn't he play in the ACC? I'll have to look him up, but I remember that name as a college quarterback. So this is the part you're really going to love. Do you remember when you saw players seemingly react to Russell in a standoffish way and later on it got to be downright almost kind of violent? There were a couple of moments on the sidelines. Remember that? Yeah. The players were screaming at Russell Wilson and you were like, well, this is 
This relationship is not, not being forged. There's a disconnect. In game, I've got offensive and defensive players screaming down the starting quarterback on the sidelines, right? There are multiple moments in which players in games turn after a throw is 40 yards wide going, what are we doing here, right? The way that Florida State used to look defensively when we were so dysfunctional and the guys would just turn and look at each other like, what? Well, I, don't, I don't know. And the ball would be 40 yards over their head. Remember that? So that was going on last year in Denver with Russell Wilson and his teammates. Well, this might explain exactly why that was. He asked offensive players to come into the facility on Tuesdays. That is the only day players have off during game weeks. And he would do so, quote, to have a state of the union meeting of which he led the way, Tom, on the off days which then saw him talking to said players who he asked to come in on the off days about the state of the union. He would deliver a speech and then (laughs) if you're watching the chat, this is good. Um, He would, he would sit up there and, and, and whiteboard this thing with all these dudes who don't want to be there and don't think he knows what he's talking about and who isn't listening to, to their own offensive coaches. So whatever Russ is saying is probably at the advice of this personalized quarterback coach who he meets with us in his own office every day. And now he's having you come in on a Tuesday to run something contrary to whatever the team is. doing. This is, I would have beat Russell Wilson's ass. This would have been an ass beaten from day one. I I'm shocked. He wasn't beaten half to death one day at practice. I mean, it, you want to talk about clown. Nobody would put up with this. So, um, most of the players went on the record and said they thought it was very, very weird and incredibly inconvenient that they were pulled away from the one day they had to spend with their families. <laughs> and, and he did it with crazy eyes the whole time, I'm sure. He said, now you listen to me. Yes. This is why we're losing. I don't care what Hackett says. Yeah. You with uh, me? It's, Let's it's, ride. Let's uh, ride. You should read the whole story. It's nuts. I'll just, those are some excerpts that I thought you'd like. By the way, Peyton is in. He immediately said that Heaps and others are not going to be a part of what they're doing from this point forward. (laughs) He basically came in and said, Russ, this ain't it. You're going to do what I tell you to do. It's time for your unlimited breakdown (laughs) of the week. State of the Union. Guys, how do we become unlimited i can't i I mean i'm telling you that happened that happened it was said in a meeting (laughs) i don't know how you go from being a super bowl winning quarterback mvp caliber player nine-time pro bowler to completely insane this is why i brought up michael jackson jackson five awesome early career great Cuckoo for Cuckoo Puffs. It happens just like that. I will go back to the Gruden's quarterback camp when he was interviewed. We loved him as a prospect. We thought he was a diamond in the rough. We were right. He was at the front door of your neighborhood spouting off on being saved when you're just trying to watch the Masters on a Saturday. They're knocking on your door, and there they are, and you're like, good Christmas. Will you please go away? I I really think you should listen to this. Can I come in? No, you you can't come in. You get out of here. Since day one, that's been the look in his eyes. Then you talk about the Super Bowl loss, the Malcolm Butler play. The voice of God spoke to him and told him that this was all part of the plan. He believes he is the reincarnated version of Christ. 
I'm telling you, man, that's how you get to this point. That's how you get to this point. He believes he is on a divine mission of some kind to change the world through his football and then through his corporate whatever aspirations he has afterwards. And when he doesn't get his way, you you saw him in the press box or in the owner's box for the Super Bowl with the Bucks and the Chiefs. The dude pouts like a child. So we've seen evidence of all of these delusions. The thing is, kind of like Patrick Reed and negativity, he can channel those delusions and turn into a really, really good football player. The question is, does Sean Payton have enough to bring it out of him one more time? Because he, <laughs> Russell's going to have to uh, find some humility here that he clearly doesn't have in order to return to some kind of Pro Bowl form. So I don't know if you read the story. Um, the Seattle Times did a good one. Uh, there's one in the USA Today. But if we're talking about the many problems of Russell Wilson, uh, add that his charitable foundation is questionable. His troublesome year continues as that nature of the charity is in question uh, in which how much, what percentage of those donations are reaching uh, those that are supposed to be helped. It was a six-month investigation in which they detailed that Wilson's foundation in 2020 and 2021 spent almost $600,000 on charitable activities and nearly twice as much, $1.1 million on salaries and employee benefits during that time. It spent 24.3 cents of every dollar on charitable funding. Yeah. Yeah. Buddy, that's called theft. Well, I, I think I think legally speaking, you could probably do that. It's just, you know, as we as we note, when there are different charitable functions, whether it's something that we host or we do or we we take part in like the red cross back in yeah you can say portions of the proceeds yes wording matters right the wording matters but you know there's it's like espn's jimmy v where every dollar goes to you know the cause when you can after your own expenses are paid for to set up the event you give everything you can to charity it's understood by all that's why you go into something like that is to actually benefit whichever group it is that you are associating with working with and obviously seeking to aid. Well, it's clear that Russell Wilson wants to be a one percenter billionaire type dude and, and an owner of a football team. I'm sure that's an aspiration of his because he'll change their name to something divine and (laughs) say that, you know, they will be the first, uh, uh, what's it called? Oh, okay, man. buddy, taking seventy five percent of every dollar uh, is not very Christ like. Uh, when when you're, uh, you know, well, it's for the greater to help a charity. Jeff, it's for the greater good. You, you <laughs> don't see the big picture. God spoke to me. He yeah. said, you "Need some liquidity. You think need a about, little bit more liquidity to make these things happen for the world." Think about. I mean, I, I guess big picture is all I'm saying. Like our sense that Russell Wilson is crazy and now not any good, but also perhaps. I don't know, maniacal like that. We've been hinting at this for a couple of years, buddy. The evidence is falling before us on a daily basis these days. So the word I was searching for was theocracy. It's mm. going to be the first theocracy within his NFL organization when he becomes an owner. It's going to be the divine right of what he says is what. Mm. That's how that's how Looney Tunes this dude is. We've known it, but I'm just glad to hear that there are more and more examples. And I find it really interesting that knowing as much as Sean Payton knew, if he knows enough to say Jake Heaps and all this nonsense goes away, 
he still took the gig. You know, it's not like he would have had a shortage of suitors over the next offseason or yeah. two. I find it fascinating that Sean wanted to take this particular job in this situation. Yeah, but remember, one of the reasons that Sean took that job is the new owners of that have unlimited purse strings. Now, yeah. that doesn't help you with your roster because your roster is your roster and there's a salary cap. You can always spend so much money on players. But let's say he knows it ain't going to work out with Russell Wilson. You, he's a they've overpaid him to come in there. So he's getting more money from Denver than he probably would have gotten anywhere else because Jerry Jones is not in the picture. Had Jerry Jones fired Mike McCarthy. I think that's the job that Peyton would have taken. It would yeah. make more sense to go work for the Dallas Cowboys, much more high profile franchise, uh, much more prestigious franchise than the Broncos. And obviously your owner and Jerry Jones is also crazy and willing to spend whatever. So he would have paid Sean, whatever he wanted to be paid. But when they didn't fire McCarthy, it was slim pickings and Denver is now under new ownership, knowing they have to overpay to make a splash. And they, he was able to get that money out of them. And he knows moving forward that those billionaires are money is not a problem. So he's going to have the finest of everything. It'd be like if Mark Cuban took over, you know, you like the Mavericks have the best of everything. So when free agency, when people come in and see that locker room, they go, Oh, well, all things being equal. I get the best of the best for all of the amenities, you know, and he knows that he's going to be able to do that. So it really, I bet in his mind, see if I can get Russell turned around. We Lord knows there was all kinds of athleticism there and ability there. He's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. But if I lay down the gauntlet, we'll find out, does he buy in or not? If he buys in and he can still play, I'll get it out of him. And if he can't, he'll move on. And I've got unlimited funds to go figure it out. Well, I just, I can't wait for the, uh, the human interest stories and they're coming this uh, training camp in which Sean Payton brings Drew Brees in to have a word with Russell Wilson. Can you imagine the insufferability of, li I don't even know. Being at that table, dude, being at that table. You're in, you're in the meeting room where there's just the three of them and the egos, I mean, colliding. It is something out of South park. Uh, there's an episode where the guys are hopping around. I won't say what they're hopping around on, but that would be what these three people having a conversation about what it takes to be successful is is like and god that would be the worst but i also just from like a bad movie car crash standpoint i i would i would be locked in i would be riveted by 10 minutes of that conversation i have so many jokes there's so many things i could say about what they do before lunch and what they do before dinner and after and all of it it's just it would be so good that would you're right it's a great episode of south park it's jeff cameron show 93.3 real talk radio war chant Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back guaranteed because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to make your car the mvp and bring home huge wins keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply the cameron show is a production of the warchant.com multimedia network
Check out Warchant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's Warchant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3. I watch the rain, it settle in, disappear for days again. Most of us were staying in, lazy like the sky. Letters flew across the wire, filtered through a million lies. The whole world's got like burning tires, the day John Henry died. Everybody all changed the channel simultaneously as I begin to mention something from the National Basketball Association. Did you see Malik Beasley last night, Tom Lang, for the Los Angeles Lakers who beat Golden State, an important stretch for the Lakers trying to make the playoffs? Um Easily dropped 26 and was the catalyst for the victory for the Lakers last night. That trade could really open things up for him. Game's all about wings. If his personal life is in order, he's in a place where he has a facilitator in LeBron that is unparalleled in a lot of ways. And then obviously Anthony Davis. Beasley led them in scoring and was the best player on the floor last night. Just kind of cool, man, and a reminder that when Florida State's recruiting took that huge uptick, and we know the names, whether it's Bacon or Beasley or Isaac or going down the list of any number of pros, Vassell, um, and, and you know, we kept it going. Patrick Williams, uh, you know, all the guys we brought in, and then you, and again, I don't want to depress everybody, but and then you juxtapose where we're at now and you really realize the loss in recruiting, it, it's – it's devastating, and that's the question I keep bringing up with. If you make some changes to your staff, are you going to bring in somebody who has that kind of recruiting pow- prowess? Because that's what CY and Gates did. Those guys were not only good coaches, but they could really recruit, and they were young and tenacious, and they had their hands on the pulse of an ugly process, which is college basketball recruiting, which is hideous, and, and the whole thing is well-documented. But those guys understood the game, and were young enough and tenacious enough and had good enough reputations. That's really at the crux of what we're talking about. And I'm reminded of that every time I scroll through NBA scores, and I do every day these days, I don't always bring it up here, but I watch a lot of these games with my son. And, you know, there are plenty of Florida State guys out there. Patrick is having a good year as well. Vassell's on a terrible team. I believe the um, Spurs have lost 15 straight, 16 straight. Um, they're they're going to be in the sweepstakes um, to, to get that first pick. And, uh Man, I, I I hate it for a lot of our guys in terrible situations, but I'm really happy for Malik Beasley. It looks like he's kind of landed in a good spot. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how much they care about basketball in the athletic department over the next year and a half. I mean, that that's the, the key to it. Uh, Coach Ham has one year remaining on the deal. Um, you could see where, you know, if you're trying to make the dollars work, you give him another run if he wants it, you know, if he wants it, unless he comes to some sort of agreement where he's like, all right, what can we do to just say goodbye right here, right now? I, I don't think that's how Coach Ham is wired, uh, but I think we'll learn more about how much this athletic department cares about basketball next year at this time. What is your what is your strategy for the post-Coach Ham era? And how much money are you willing to spend on it? And how much money are you willing in the collective sphere to spend on roster retention or roster building for basketball? So it's not just about the athletic department anymore. It's also about how much does this fan base care about basketball? And and that's, I'm not optimistic about that answer, but you never know. Uh, maybe if Florida State can swing a deal out of the conference and you see a windfall of money coming down the pike, you confront some 
to other sports because you know that relief is coming. This is It's a very interesting place to be if you are not the football program. Because right now, the football program, Michael Alfred has shown, is going to get as much as it possibly can in terms of resources to carry the day for the brand. And these other programs will succeed as well, but football is going to get a lot of yeses on its budget. Everywhere else, until there's that TV revenue windfall, be it from the ACC because there's a reworked deal, the Big Ten, the SEC, you're kind of holding your breath for the next five years if you're looking at that medium-term plan. That said, Michael Alford has already gone out of his way to make our soccer coach one of the highest-paid coaches in the country. Prior to doing so, he offered the previous head coach the most amount of money to coach uh, soccer in the country. He brought in Link Jarrett uh, at a very high price for baseball, college baseball. He was willing to spin uh, in ways that few college baseball programs do. I think Michael Alford cares deeply about the perception of the athletic program at Florida State. I think he has really high standards. It would seem to me it would be a difficult task, but I don't think that guy is interested in making hires that are non-splash hires. I think he wants to make headway, headlines, headway, you name it. He wants people to recognize that Florida State is a destination job, that this is a place where you can win and win big. And I think they're willing to overpay long-term now that they're out from under these gross payments they had to make to Willie Taggart and others over the last several years. They got what one year left. It's over. They're done. And Willie just got another job miraculously uh, in the NFL with the Ravens. We all know why his Harbaugh connections run deep. That's a charitable offer for him to go be a running backs coach. There's no such thing. A running back by the time he's in the NFL knows how to run. So it's an easy job. You can be, you know, uh, pretty simple and do that job. So my, my point would be that, Florida State's about to have some cash. They're about to free some things up. Yes, football is going to lead the way. They just won a lot of games last year. They plan on winning a lot more. If he sees that being a consistent element of this athletic department, I think he's going to be aggressive. I, I, I don't think – you're right. We'll see. But I'm, I'm going to bet a little bit more on the side that he actually tries to make a higher above and beyond what we think the level of interest is for basketball here. That's fair. I, I'm just – and I'm not – trying to change recent history in which that we've seen investment at a high level beyond football. Like that's all empirically just true. I'm just saying that when you're projecting five years down the line and maybe a little bit longer and all of these other athletic departments and the two power conferences have that much more money, can you continue to do so in the now? Yeah. You know, softball is in a great place. Soccer is in a great place. Baseball is in a great place. Love the hires that have been made and the investments, the retention for Lonnie and also the investments they're making in, in softball. Like, yes, it's going elsewhere other than football, but this conversation is going to change towards yeah. the end of this decade. Yeah. And in what position are we in at that point? I know for a fact that we will spare no expense for football five years from now, no matter what the TV landscape is and what the payouts are. But if you're another program and you've got to break it down to build it back up, how much do you want to invest on that process right now? Because you know that money's going to get tighter relative to the competition at the end of this decade, unless you find a way to see a new influx of cash. It's just kind of fun. I wonder at what point the buck stops with the athletic department and says, well, let's sit back here. If that means we got to wear it on the basketball front for two or three seasons, so be it. But let's let the financials shake out. Uh, we'll see. Maybe not. Maybe they say, screw it. We're, we're going to be fine. We know we're going to make it. So let's go full steam ahead. Yeah, it's, it is fascinating. I just like how aggressive he is. You know, Tom, I, I, I want to bring this big picture up before I mention the fact that, once again, 
big weekend series for Florida State baseball, and it's an exciting time. Carson Montgomery is going to get the start for the Knowles, by the way, while I am on it. Uh, uh, no, check that. Check that. Sorry. Jackson Ballmeister is going to get the start. Carson, Carson Montgomery is getting extra rest is what I meant to say. Uh, Ballmeister gets the start tonight. Ryan Vanderhe gets the start for uh, TCU. And the reason that matters is um, he's kind of a, a – he's a newcomer for them, uh, is Vanderhe. He's a guy that um, was ranked as the number 10 – transfer by d1baseball.com uh he was at kansas the last couple of years he was the opening day starter for tcu if you're wondering who you're going to see he gave up three runs over five innings in their first game of the year so that's who florida state's going to be facing um cir- circling back to to our discussion a little bit about you know spending and and, and where the i i used to be envious of uh jeremy foley and the university of florida and I don't mean envious in the way that I derived more pleasure from their failures than our successes. Remember when our fan base used to do that? It was the worst kind of fandom. And those are the worst kind of fans. I engage in schadenfreude as much as the next guy. When Florida fails or Miami fails, that's great. That's awesome. But it's not more enjoyable than when we succeed. And that should always be the view of a fan. You're invested in your program. Uh, you can't control what happens out there. You can acknowledge it and even revel in it, but that can't be the height of your focus. Mm-hmm. All right, so I was envious in this way. Foley's mandate to the athletic department for years, win or be fired. This is a very simple equation, guys. We, and he was quoted, and I'm paraphrasing, we want to win national championships in every sport we compete in. He wanted the baseball team to win national titles, the the the, the freaking gymnastic team, the swimming team, the baseball, the, you know, every team. And if you'd, and he knows that you're not going to do that, but that's the goal. The goal is to do that, right? And if you don't, and you don't meet a standard of excellence, you're going to be fired. We'll move on and find somebody who can do that. So far, Michael Alford seems to be aspiring in a very similar direction. And I freaking love it, man. That's what I want my athletic director to be empowered to do. And for years, our athletic directors had no power. And now you have a guy who does, and he is efforting to see. Now, listen, he could screw it up, and we'll criticize him if he does. But so far, the evidence seems to suggest that he's been given the same similar mandates. Go win. Yeah, I'd say just on a personal level, if you're doing an approval rating of one man over here on the right side of the screen, I mean, it's through the roof for the way that the university is structured. Now you have a president who doesn't yeah. want to play athletic director who hired somebody to be empowered to do the job. And that's much more healthy. That is, it's something a health, a kind of health that we haven't had in this athletic department, maybe ever, ever. I'm talking about, you know, when you, when you tie in the fact that the money is now in the hands of the athletic director to appropriate where the athletic director sees fit. That's just, that's never been the case where you've had these three things in line at the same time. A president doesn't care about sports, but trust the athletic director, an athletic director who has the money to make things work. That's all wonderful. My issue is not with the job that they're doing. It's that at some point it comes home to roost here. If you're operating at a debt, yeah, the money, yeah, the money becomes a problem competition because the, again, in the next five to 10 years, the windfall that these power two are going to get versus us. We want to compete on the same level as the power two, but how can you do that when you're, when you're not out of the conference yet, the moment that they are allow us to be on equal financial footing, at least in terms of TV distribution with the sec and see what the hell happens. We're coming for you. We have been as an athletic department in our history, 
a group that does more with less. Give us equal resources, and it's your ass. And I can't wait for that day. Yeah, in all likelihood, that is true. And you're right. You got to make good decisions and you know spend that money wisely. All those things. But you're right. Absolutely. That's. And I, I just I'm, I'm enjoying this. I, I want to bring up a stat. It will close the book on the segment. I brought up baseball and the starters and the big series that is tonight. I got texted something from Ira that's interesting uh, this morning. We were kind of talking about this series. And here you go, Tom. Remember what we loathed about Florida State the last couple of years besides their incompetence on the base paths and the inability to pick up the baseball and the inordinate amount of, the inordinate amount of strikeouts um, and the losses. Those things that we did not like about the baseball program, um, which is a comprehensive everything. Um, okay. At Notre Dame, Link Jarrett went 53 and 23 away from home. Hmm. Unfortunately, Mike Martin Jr. was 23 and 30, 8 and 17 last year hmm. away from home. Another way to use the word comprehensive. Uh, Very different. Um, Now, you might say, well, what are you trying to imply there, Jeff? Well, first of all, I know that it's more complex than just those numbers. What I'm saying is there was a softness to last year's baseball team that was disgusting to the core. And meets teams, unfortunately, uh, the, the disconnect from who he is in terms of tough-mindedness and all of that and who they are were, was, was damning. It was damning. Whereas what we've already described with Link and what he's trying to instill, remember we were talking about messaging last hour? Yep. And you, you can see it. I don't know if they win the series. They might get swept. But I love that that's where we're at. We're going to watch this, this guy try to tell this team, you got to be tough. Yeah. You got to find a way to be tough, and he's got a methodology in which to introduce it. That's why I'm I'm curious as to how he's going to manage first sign of trouble tonight. You know, is it? I'll learn about them in in high leverage situations when we're playing Gulf Coast or Pitt or BC and leave them out there. Or is it tonight? You're in a jam. You get out of that jam, Jackson. I'm not going to Crowell yet. I I, I just I'm fast. I could I could really see it going either way where he says, the hell with that. I'm managing to win at least one game on the road here. If we win one this weekend, we've done our job in terms of RPI and the future. And so for tonight, on a Friday, if it's close, and I feel good about the way things are going in the third inning or fourth inning, and you're in trouble, you're done. I'm bringing in Crowell, and we're going to get that baby to the, to the seventh or the eighth inning. Or is it, this is the ultimate lesson. This is the ultimate chance to test what I have so I know in the back half of the schedule if I leave you out there, I can trust you to get the outs or not. I'm just tonight is a really interesting early look into his philosophy of how to play a big game in a unique situation. It'll never be like this again because he's going to have more of his guys in the program next year and the year after and the year after. But as he's trying to instill his mindset, does he do so with no patience or with an abundance of patience that might cost you a baseball game? Long season, I think most managers play for the the long-term gains and understand that you could lose some games in doing so. You put kids in difficult situations, and you know that sometimes the result's going to be they fail in those situations in order to learn and get tougher and get better. So my guess is he'll lean towards the long-term success. But you're right. He does want to win a game here. He's uber competitive, and winning on the road is a good way to establish culture and 
you know, I, I understand. It's it, it is going to be fascinating. I can't wait to watch this series. It's been a minute since I've said that about Florida State baseball. It's a reason to be excited. Jeff Cameron, show 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chance. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Cameron Show is a production of the Warchant.com Multimedia Network. Check out Warchant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's Warchant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3. Friday. I hope you guys have a great weekend. Appreciate you joining us and being patient with me all week long and my nasty stuff upness and inability to uh, to speak without uh, sounding nasally. I appreciate that. It's been a fun week. It's been a productive week, despite being uh, kind of laid out most of the days. I am really excited about next week and where all this goes. I know it's at the end of next week, but we're finally getting uh, started. A little bit like the transformation, right? We get to spring forward next month. I love that. Anyhow, more daylight, more opportunities to uh, do things outside. That includes cover this team and be a part of that. Yay, March. I always like when we get out of February. I'm excited about it. And I'm really excited about this team. I have not mentioned this, but I think we should decide, well, how about some tub talk, Tom? How about we do that? Let's get this in here with our friends at Pitch a Penny before I get carried away. All righty. Tub talk it is. It's time for Tub Talk, brought to you by Pinch a Penny Pools and Spas. Buy yourself the hot tub you've always wanted at the price you've always wanted from Pinch a Penny on Greer Street. Now it's live to the tub. We're floating. We're floating. Yesterday, I mentioned to Alex Atkins that he's got a good problem to have with so many talented players battling for five spots. I asked him if it was an exaggeration that he might have 12 guys that could compete for a starter's role on the offensive line. 12 to fit five is a good deal if you're an offensive coach, and that's what you're tasked with doing is figuring out who's what. Um, he's, he agreed. He, he thought that was the right number. That was a good number. Uh, and, and, and then also mentioned that uh, perhaps there's, there's more. So that was cool. We learned from Coach Norvell last week the hard work of this offseason only further emboldens his belief that this team is on the same page and hungry for more. We learned from Adam Fuller that they're going to be more versatile up front, uh, that they have an opportunity to give different looks, um, different personnel on the field because of the depth of that defensive line and the different degrees of um, uh, skill sets and personnel. Uh, We learned about a change of positions for some guys, Uh, most notably Duke Cooper switching to safety. We'll see if he makes that transition smoothly. We learned that his expectations for Shaheen Brown are through the roof and that he basically thought he had a chance to be one of the more impactful players at the position in the country. That is high praise. And all of that said, I have failed to mention to you that the guy I'm most excited to see is Kyle Morlock. Really? So I know Jaheim Bell can play. I've seen him play. I never watched shorter college. I never saw him play. I don't know if he, I mean, I'm sure he can play, right? I mean, you can watch highlights. I want to see him play the game. Um, I know 
what this offense can now look like with Marquise and Douglas. Um, and if you ever get anything out of a Jackson West, and if you get anything out of Jarrell powers, which you might, he was only a freshman last year and I like his body type. Um, we also can't forget about what's his name, who I think they're going to switch the linebacker. Um, Brian Courtney. Yeah. You watch when that happens, you're all going to have to sing the praises of one Jeff Cameron. But that said, it would be very funny. I'd love to be present when they make the announcement and I look over at my fellow cohorts at War Chant. They see your eyes roll. Um, but <laughs> I, I would picture this uh, sort of uh, dream scenario by which you guys pull the uh, the GIF from um, well, Alonzo Mourning. You're like, <laughs> well, here we go. Well, he did provide some depth at linebacker, though. Yeah, he, he did call it. Yeah. Um, so, so anyhow, there, there's there's all that. But uh, and by the way, I don't know that, folks. It's been a running gag. I do suspect it's possible, though. I, I will stick to my guns on that. Um, but I think Morlock is interesting because I know Bell can play. I've already seen Marquiston Douglas. Jackson West is never healthy, so I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, Courtney's got to get a lot bigger. I love his skill set as a receiver, but if he's ever going to be on the field as a blocker and not a dead giveaway that we're throwing the ball, then he's going to have to get bigger. Uh, Drell Powers last year was very limited, as many true freshmen are. Loved his body type. Didn't see much from him other than that. Uh, so we'll see if he takes a big leap forward. Uh, but if Morlock is a freak of an athlete, the way he's described, and certainly with that height and that size and that speed, he should be. Let's see if he transitions nightly, uh, nicely. It just changed pretty much everything, Tom. It does. Because Bell already can play. Yeah, well, the thing is, I don't know if that it's a it's a surefire deal that Morlock wins the job over Marquiston. They're both redshirt juniors, so they both have a couple years of eligibility as I'm pulling up uh, the tight end part of the roster. Uh, but you know, Marquiston isn't short. He's six four. Oh, I love Marquiston Douglas. I am not short siding Marquiston Douglas. I'm just talking about the ability to rotate in a different skill set. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that's that's that Kyle Morlock is six 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 seven two thirty. If he gets to two forty and can run like the wind blows, if he can, yes, then then the versatility that you have there is off the charts, and and that's something as a larger point too that I found interesting. Both guys talked about it. You just summarized it. But both on offense and on defense, you should see multiplicity in 2023 in a way you haven't before. Yeah. Um, I've said it, you know, whether you look at some of the stuff at Memphis or he did so a couple of years ago at Florida State, Mike Norvell is not afraid to go six offensive linemen on the field in some situations. Oh, I love that. I love it. And it creates alignment issues. It creates a, a situation where defense has to kind of tell you what they're doing which makes the reads for the quarterback easier in one-on-one situations. And you could just run the ball down their throat if they're six good offensive linemen. That's always an option as well. I love that. But then defensively, if you're telling me that you're facing a team that really can run the ball and you're not afraid to throw three or four defensive tackles out there as well, that also is a weapon that you can use on defense that we have not seen because they didn't have the depth of the defensive interior last year Correct. with the injuries to Fabian Love and Robert Cooper not being 100%. Jared Jackson was available like every third game. I mean, we go down the list. But returning back to the tight end position, I, I love the versatility of all of these guys. And, of course, Jaheim Bell, who's going to wear number six this year, is going to be more like your H-back style tight end. But Marquiston's development down the stretch last year has me wondering about who actually plays more snaps between Marquise and Douglas and, and Kyle Morlock. Who's the better blocker? That's something that we're going to have to weigh in this in, in this spring and fall camp upcoming. 
I'm going to guess it's Marquiston. Um, Marquiston is a player last year that I sang a lot of praises towards before he broke out. I'm happy about getting this right. He's a matchup problem in zone. If you run zone against that guy, you, he's going to find a spot. you got real problems with him. He, he only elevated his overall ability as a pass catcher by the end of the year as well. Uh, Tom, I, I see no reason why he won't be a big part of what they do. I just, I just think it's so cool to have the kind of versatility we have never had yeah. at tight end ever since I've been here, since I being a little kid, they have never had this good work out of you. Thanks director Matthew. Thanks to Ben. Thanks to all of you for being patient. Thanks to our guests all week long. Be well, everybody have a great weekend. Good olds. We'll talk to you on Monday. Peace.